Ingredients for completos are Analysis Arts and Culture Poetry And Music Remember Wednesday 6.30pm Tune in Dole Association of Victoria presents the 34th Malvern Dole Fair on Saturday, October the 12th. On at the Malvern Town Hall from 10 till 5, there will be antique to modern dolls, original craft works, art and craft supplies, fabrics, fashion, displays and raffles. Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, um, listeners. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, on the line you have um, Jacob, myself, and... Megan. Good morning, everyone. All right. So I guess before um, before we start, um, we have quite a, pre- a pretty packed program with at least, I think, three interviews, um, potentially, but they're going to be sort of closely tied together. Um, we're going to be hearing an update on um, the situation in Kurdistan with um, the US withdrawal from no- northern Syria, which has been dominating the headlines. Um, and then we're going to have an interview with um, Aaron Mungagdam, um to talk about the importance of um, fighting for refugee rights in the context of climate justice. And then thirdly, we'll be hopefully speaking with Andrew Morrison um, about um, from the Philippines um, Solidarity Association um, about um, or Philippines Australian Solidarity uh, Association about um, the campaign against Oceania Gold. All right. Um, I guess I just want to start with acknowledgement that um, FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the wandry land of the Kulin Nation. Um, I like to pay our respect um, to elders past and present and that this always was, um, always will be um, Aboriginal land. Sorry about the interruption. <laughs> just, <laughs> just lost my words. I've only just woken up. No, right. that's okay. I think we've had a pretty busy week <laughs> this yeah. week. Well, I guess we can go start. Um, so this past week has been dominated by um, the protest, the International Week of Protests by Extinction Rebellion. Um, and so in the case of Melbourne, um, there has been a protest camp set up 24-7 um, in Carlton Gardens. And having been spending my past week at that camp, um, although I haven't been st- I'm staying over, um, there has been essentially been actions every day, um, all types of kind of actions. Um, to give a bit of background on Extinction Rebellion, Extinction Rebellion is a new environmental activist group that has kind of popped up in response um, to the fact that our governments um, are refusing to act uh, on in 
Our governments are refusing to act in response to the climate crisis, and they argue um, that the climate crisis has gone beyond the pale to the point that there is a point of, there is a point of no return, and we are in a potential mass extinction event. And so they believe um, that in order to avert this crisis, we need to commit um, we need to commit mass civil disobedience. Um, and have a sustained mobilisation of 3.5% of the population to achieve change. And how they believe change will occur is through instituting um, citizens' assemblies, um, which are, are supposed to guide the government on what the correct course of action to address the climate crisis is. So, yeah, this has, um, in Melbourne, it's been known as the Spring Rebellion, uh, or in Australia. Um, but this has been a week of protest that has um, been that is happening across all over the world. Um, in the case of Melbourne, to comment a good bit further, the action, um, it's given that it's a sustained, sustained week of protests, I've been fairly, I've been quite impressed that starting from the opening night on Monday night, um, which had over a thousand to a thousand eight hundred mm. people, yeah. um, that was a, a really good t- turnout. And then subsequent protests have sort of numbered, have had people in sort of like the 400 to 600 or maybe 300 to 600 on average, which is not bad for a sustained week of protests. Um, Sydney, Sydney, Adelaide and Brisbane have sort of seen similar numbers, but it's by far the biggest in Victoria, especially since um, there's a lot of people from rural um um, rural parts of Australia who are coming. In fact, mm. yesterday I met someone who um, travelled all the way from Warrnambool for the protest. There's been people travelling from Gippsland. Um, and then also, I guess, to comment, I mean, maybe you want to comment on the Tuesday morning action a bit. Uh, yeah, so it was blocking the corner of uh, was Spring Street and what was the other section? Spring and Collins, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was a, an intersection blocking and... Um, one of the things I found, and I have actually found this with um, the, all of the Extinction Rebellion um, actions that I've been at, uh, was I, what I try to do is I um, make sure that we have enough flyers and we do enough outreach to the community that are witnessing this action because that's part of, that's a really important part of, um, of the action is educating people and talking to people um, about how, you know, this is literally a climate catastrophe. Um, and one of the things that I found is overwhelmingly, if people engaged with me, they were positive and, um, you know, they, they actually acknowledged that this was, we were getting to the point where, so for decades, um, you know, climate activists have lobbied governments, they've, um, you know, got people to sign petitions, they've had meetings with legislators, with power brokers, with corporations, they've done everything by the book, they've done everything the right way in inverted commas, and nothing has happened. In fact, um, politicians have done less than nothing. We now have more carbon in the atmosphere than ever before. We're pumping it out. You know, we're polluting our oceans. We're polluting our rivers. Um, we, we are at the point where our politicians are not even sitting by. They're aiding and abetting the people who are polluting. Um, and people realise that we are getting to such a desperate point that we do have to disrupt now. I mean, when I opened up, you know, with our politicians doing nothing, people totally agreed with me. Um, and they realised that this was a last-ditch effort to basically, um, as someone has said, grab them by the capital 
<laughs> so um, the Tuesday action was just, you know, um, another part of that disruption. And I felt like it was a really good action in that um, it was quite upbeat. Uh, the the reception was quite good. I mean, there was a few negative people. I mean, honestly, unfortunately, I came across quite a number of climate deniers and I quickly excused myself, told them to have a nice day and did not waste any time on yeah. them. Well, to comment a bit on that, I've just been following the media. So one of the impressive things about the protest has been the fact that it has gotten media coverage every single day. Mm. Like, in fact, all the mainstream news outlets um, have been there, although the intentions are not completely... Honest. I mean, not at all. We were followed by one uh, news. Um, yeah. So they, uh, they, camera. they kind of essentially um, the argue, uh, essentially the reason why probably the mainstream media is there is to sort of give a pretty poor image of the extinction rebellion protesters. And to not one thing I think that's important. Um, one thing I do think is important, like it still represents the people who are part of these protests still represent a small, a very, quite a very tiny section of the population. But what mm. I have been quite impressed by is there was a poll in the age, which, <laughs> which attempted oh, to great. sort of, I think I didn't really read the article, but the article kind of attempted to kind of paint, um, to smear, to smear mm. and to paint, um, you know, the argument that basically all, all XR was doing was annoying commuters. And so there was a poll put up and it turned out that the great majority of people, um, had actually supported, um, the extinction had supported the XR protest. Now, like 88%. That poll is probably not reflective of, um, you know, everything. I mean, cause um, it, you know, polls can be flawed, but I think it, it is a good indication that, you know, no, the um, the activities in the protest of extinction are not, are not necessarily alienating that the greater proportion of the population, and in fact, mm. there's a good section of people who are expired by the action. And I could feel, and I could, I have some anecdotal kind of evidence of that in a sense that every subsequent action, um, we always sort of did a bit of a check-in to put a bit of hands up on, um, but because. During every action, we always have a briefing beforehand, and we sort of did a bit of a hands-up on, you know, is this your first XR action? And quite interestingly enough, a, f- a good section of people all put their hands up that it was their first XR action. So there's clear sort of people are clearly becoming expired um, by all this media coverage and getting keen um, to get involved. And, of course, there was also another story where... Um, after I was walking in the direction of an Extinction Rebellion protest and there was a group of um, young women who were talking openly about, oh, well, I, I've got to attend the next climate protest. Um, so there's clearly a positive position. And, of mm. course, I think the negative comments that you kind of get are probably no different from any negative comment you'll get from some right-winger. From any kind at of any, demonstration. Any, at any kind of demonstration. There's yeah. always going to be someone who will... Who will not like what you're doing? There's always um, going to be someone who tells me to get a job, even yeah, though yeah. I work full time. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. So there'll be always be someone like that. So I don't think it's going reflective of anything, but I mm. think the experiences of the kind of outreach teams, Extinction Rebellion, has been quite. Mm. Now, I do actually just want to really quickly point out um, that at the Tuesday action, there was something that was quite interesting. I found quite interesting. 
So um, we were not very far away from, um, I think it was St Vincent's Hospital, and there were people trying to get through. So Extinction Rebellion had left the... Um, the footpaths open and so people should have been able to walk through and there were people trying to walk to the hospital but what we were finding is um, that the police were blocking people so there was actually no reason for to do that that the footpath was not obstructed by extinction rebellion there was no reason why they couldn't go through there was no traffic obstruction etc they could easily walk through however the police had decided to block that off and annoyed a whole bunch of people who uh, were trying to get to the hospital for surgery, to visit people, etc. Several of them came up and complained to me and I went and checked out the situation that was not Extinction Rebellion at all. We had not blocked Mm. that that footpath. Mm. It was literally police blockage for no reason Mm. and I I wonder why they had done that. Well, just to follow on from that, the the heavy-handed kind of police kind of response has been definitely an issue but especially in states like queensland where (laughs) they're pretty much like pushing um for extinction rebellion protesters to be arrested and locked up Mm. um and in both sydney and victoria they have been pushing um incredibly unreasonable bail conditions Mm. um um to all um to the protesters and one such example has been um, some of the bail conditions they put to protesters has been that you cannot associate with anyone involved in Extinction Rebellion. You cannot be seen at any Extinction Rebellion protest. I mean, I might be exaggerating, but that is along the lines, those are the bail mm. conditions that have been offered. And I think, you know... The, or you the, can't come within X kilometres of the CBD as well. Um, yeah, yeah. part of some of the bail and conditions. Some of, the, some of those bail conditions have been actually been put to some of the kind of leading kind of activists who are kind of in who are involved in extinction rebellion so it's clear that the state um is directing the police force in a way that they are wanting to kind of curb these kind of protests from yeah this is this smacks of anti-association laws this is incredible yeah, yeah. and um what i mean what is interesting was in the case of the queensland there was actually um the central alp branch in the city um, ALP branch passed a motion condemning these sort of anti-protest laws that are becoming coming from their very own premier mm. um, although you know not necessarily the the backbone of active resistance but it, it, it is showing that it is having um, that there is kind of a, a, a high level of resistance to these um, anti-protest laws and um, these bail conditions, I think, have um, have just recently been thrown out at the magistrate's court. In fact, it's actually kind of, it's essentially what the police are doing is essentially a way of intimidating because mm. these bail conditions simply can't hold up in court. No. But they intimidate prote- um, protesters um, to accept these bail conditions. Before it goes to court. Before yeah. it goes to court. And, of course, the only option for some protests, for a lot of protesters, and like this is what I probably recommend, and unfortunately people probably who don't really have the experience or not willing to go through the experience, um, basically there's a limit to how long they can keep you in in on in in a sort of in the, 
they can hold you in up custody. in custody, yeah. uh, especially if they have nothing to charge you with. So they offer these sort of bail conditions as a way to sort of to get you to voluntarily incarcerate yourself and to constrict you to yourself. Yeah, to treat yourself. Um, the best thing to do is to actually hold back and just not sign. Um, and there has been a number of experiences of mm. you know exper- um, activists I know in Sydney who refused to accept the bail conditions. Um, one of them got left out and. 1am from being um, from being held in custody from free and then another didn't get released until the next um, next day and that was um, the um, the activist um, Lily Campbell who and that was in New South Wales yeah in New South yeah. Wales and yeah essentially she had to stay an extra day to get until um, the bail conditions were thrown out and Scott Ludlam um, yeah a, a high profile ex Greens member of Parliament um, had his bail conditions thrown out as well so yeah and that was in New South Wales mm. yeah so it does it, it does pay to hold off if you can I mean there are certain circumstances um, you know if I got arrested and I needed to go to work I could get fired for not showing up so there's a lot of people in those conditions, um, but if you can and ho- you know you can hold out, um, then often those unreasonable bail conditions will be dropped. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's just been a kind of interesting kind of aspect of these extinction rebellion protests. I guess the last thing I kind of want to comment on, um, just to let listeners know that there is going to be, well, hopefully you probably won't be able to get there in time unless you happen to be in the city. There is going to be an action outside the BHB office on Collins Street at 7.30am and and there'll be the next, and then there'll be a sort of Extinction Rebellion rave at 5pm from the Carlton Gardens, which is not actually a normal rave. It's actually going to be a mass rally and a mass protest. Um, where we'll be, we'll have a big kind of sound system and sort of like, it's sort of like a big marching kind of party. Um, but also can't, that's also disruptive and protesty in, in some way. Yeah. And I just, um, just on the disruption note, I saw a neat little tweet by someone called Michael J. And it says here, um, I've seen a few people criticize climate protesters as not being peaceful in inverted commas because they block road traffic. Remember that time when women, people of color and LGBT plus folks won their rights by sitting down quietly somewhere else out of the way and not making a fuss? Yeah, me neither. So that really shows you, you know, um, sometimes we do have to make a fuss and disrupt in order to actually get some action on progressive issues. So, yeah, I mean, climate change and the climate, looming climate disaster is one of them, unfortunately. Hmm. All right. I might just play, actually, I might um, play the song by our very own presenter, Zane, just for the next three minutes. Just, um, when our turn comes, climate strike. Um, and they're actually going to be having a gig this Saturday at the Cafe Gomo um, at from 8 p.m. Although they're actually, I've heard intel that they're going to be performing from 9 p.m. So yeah, just at the Cafe Gummo. So this is when our turn comes, climate strike. Blowing road 
up for a service Brushing your teeth when they got holes to fix the purpose No good quit in the darks when you got cancer How could I prevent this, you ask? But no, the answer How many decades have passed dumping on the climate? Clear fell in the planet of wrecking environments You think we had another planet to go to, but we don't We're like a bunch of people lost at sea wrecking our own boat Wait, whoa, what did you say? Conspiracy agenda Climb the diamonds, new world order, the main offender Look, the main offender is you Burying your little head in the sand Garden CO2 Multinational scum Just keep on running the profits From machinery that's cooking the world And won't stop it There's no time for people like you To come to your senses Step back and watch as the revolution commences Ah, we Seriously gonna wait until there's no more talk before we step on the brakes. We're leaving the way too late, and that's a fact. Gonna get out on the street and take the power back. Ah, we seriously gonna wait until there's no more talk before we step on the brakes. We're leaving the way too late, and that's a fact. Gonna get out on the street and take the power back. People of the future, listen to me. We're gonna charge them with mass murder, can't you see? The dirty bastards knew exactly what they were doing. They caught a million warnings, but they insisted on still polluting. Hell, they were barking out orders from the top, like burn all the carbon reserves that we've got. More than happy to leave your planet trashed, and for a brief moment they could make up under the cash. Act on a future that I'd like to contemplate I'd rather be part of a mass movement to break the state Emergency action decarbonize across the globe Nationalize the energy sector, yeah, lock and load Make all of the wind and the solar publicly owned Get it done right to keep prices under control The police and the battens and the media barons Let the barriers we got to bulldoze to make it happen Seriously gonna wait until there's no North Pole Before we step on the brakes We're leaving the way too late And that's a fact Gonna get out on the street and take the power back Ah, we Seriously gonna wait until there's no North Pole Before we step on the brakes We're leaving the way too late And that's a fact Gonna get out on the street and take the power back Over the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC a 3CR supporter.
This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Alright, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, we'll just get a bring you, that was just, uh, we were just playing When the Turn Cut, um, uh, our turn comes, climate strike. Um, and now I'm going to pass it on to Megan, who's just going to give a bit of a quick news update on the Adani coal mine. Um, yeah, so this has sort of been known for a little while, but um, basically uh, there's an article in The Guardian uh, that states that the Adani mine will be unviable without the $4.4 billion, let's repeat that, billion dollars in subsidies um, that they'll receive um, from the government uh, in tax concessions, favourable deals, etc. over the next 30 years. Um, so the Australian government will give $4.4 billion in effective subsidies to Adani's Carmichael Coal Project, um, which would otherwise be unbankable and unviable, a new analysis has, has found. Um, the report was by the Institute of Energy Economics and Financial Analysis, and it concluded that the project would benefit from several Australian taxpayer-funded arrangements, including subsidies, favourable deals and tax concessions. And I'll repeat that. That's over the next 30 years of the project's lifespan. Um, and said the project will be further supported by public handouts, tax breaks and special treatment provided to Adani Power, who were the proposed end user of the thermal coal in India. Um, and there was a quote, uh, if these subsidies were not being provided, Adani's Carmichael Thermal Coal Mine would be unbankable and unviable, as the report mentions. The subsidies have been provided in an effort to get Adani's thermal coal mine up and operating for the sake of a handful of jobs. And I believe um, that after uh, everything gets up and running, there'll be less than 100 jobs at this massive coal mine, which will be the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, in a detailed statement, Adani said the Institute was known for publishing alarmist papers that attempted to discredit the fossil fuel industry and said the report attempts to resurrect old and patently false and inaccurate claims, suggesting the Carmichael project will only be viable because of a variety of government subsidies. That was Adani's um, uh, retort. 
Uh, the report argued that a royalties holiday deal still under negotiation between the Queensland Government and the Indian conglomerate uh, equates to a huge capital subsidy with taxpayers footing the bill. Now, um, just to reiterate on the Adani coal mine, I mean, because this is pretty big for Australia, it's going to pump out massive amounts of carbon, it's going to, you know, decimate the area, etc. Um, so, uh, the Adani coal mine, um, in order to actually be built, uh, Queensland had to revoke the native title of native title holders in the area because many of them were objecting to the Adani Carmichael coal mine. Uh, so in order to actually have it happen, they had to revoke native title holders' right to the land to give it to Adani. Um, just let that sink in. And, you know, Gautam Adani has a very shady history of human rights um, in India, and we are allowing him to build the biggest coal mine in the Southern Hemisphere, which will pump out tons and tons of carbon in a time where we need to actually stop new coal mines, um, all for nothing because we're actually giving him money rather than actually receiving any money for this or any benefit. Um, if that isn't a textbook case of corporate welfare, I don't know what is. And yet our government still insists that the welfare problem lies with people who are on $40 a day on Newstart. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. It's delusion to the nth degree. I mean, we really need to fight against Adani because of so many reasons, um, not the least being the climate ramifications. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's um, definitely one of the things that has been kind of um, said about one of the one of the things that um, one of the sort of contradictions I kind of find with the state of our governments and and the whole issue of climate change is, you know, governments are saying that they will just leave it to the market, but <laughs> but then for some reason they give all these they're propping up the market <laughs> they're propping up them and um, they're doing government intervention to prop up um the likes of the adani coal mine and yeah. so on like with massive amounts of subsidies imagine if they gave a, a, a similar amount of subsidies to renewable energies although i think you know something more radical is needed than just simply giving subsidies absolutely i think it needs to be state-based our renewable energy infrastructure and it needs to be state-based so mm. oh you know government-based yeah but yeah. even then will be a better situation if they were giving money to renewable energy yeah. private companies than they are currently right now but it's just yeah it's just the, the hypocrisy is it, unbelievable. it's massive hypocrisy i mean this is literally state-based welfare for corporations and we don't kick up a stink about that you know corporations apparently deserve welfare according to the government but people who pay taxes where this welfare comes from do not deserve it <laughs> I, I just it's just this level of delusion i can't even handle so yeah all right let's get quickly go get our first interview ready and just play a quick announcement Tune in, dig deep, and clean up my mic ever on? some fantastic discounted yep. okay. gardening books from 3CR's online garden store. We have books on water-wise gardening, organic vegetables, roses, climbers, and even clematis. Just go to our website, 3cr.org.au, and follow the link on the front page. Sure. Don't have internet access? 
Call the station during business hours between 9 and 5 and we'll post out a catalogue in the mail. All proceeds help keep Melbourne's favourite gardening show on air for another year. Tune in 7.30am every Sunday morning. Oh, hey, Mama. It's Jackie. Yeah. <coughs> Right, you're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, you're listening, and it is eight um seven thirty a.m. Um, and I guess the main um we have Mahmoud um from the Australian Kurdish Democratic um Centre, and basically we have him here to give us the kind of latest update on. It's a bit of a terrifying situation at the moment on the U.S. With, um, withdrawal from northern Syria. So, good morning, Mahmoud. Good morning, Mahmoud. Yeah, good morning. Oh, yeah, sorry, I just actually forgot to flick a switch. So, um, yes, yeah, so I just um, did an introduction. And can you, can you tell us a bit about what is the kind of situation in northern Syria right now and the implications of the withdrawal of the U.S.? getting worse and worse and getting news from uh, the northern Syria and there's a civilian casualties as last two days air bombardment continues and also Turkish shelling from the ground civilian areas this is populated by this uh, civilians mainly Kurds but also many Arabs and also Assyrians and other ethnic groups and when conflict starts, also many refugees from other parts of the internal refugees to Syria came to this area because this area was one of the safest areas. Unfortunately, Turkey now, this, this, the Turkish attacks and this area are not safe anymore, and many people, they start to uh, run away from their own home, their own towns. And um, we we were told that um, or we we uh, were looking at the news and we found that um, as soon as sort of uh, the US gave the go ahead and and uh, said that they were going to withdraw troops, um, Turkey pretty much quickly enacted on that and um, acted on that and and started attacking. How much notice um, did that area get? And and was was there much in the way of preparation? I mean, was this something that came as a surprise or was this in the making and people expected this to happen? Look, as a Kurds, uh, we we were expecting attacks by Turkish states. And saying this, Turkish state's main goal to achieve to to clear this area from Kurdish population and this uh, displace all the civilians, uh, mainly Kurdish civilians, and populate this area with uh, uh, Syrian uh, Arabs and who is currently living in Turkey, refugees. And Turkey just want to clean up the area from Kurdish population. And also coming to USA, we never full trust USA. And history, Mm. from our history, we know we shouldn't trust USA. And also, not only Kurds, throughout the history, USA betrayed many, many other nations. But we we had uh, Kurds over there, they had some kind of tactical coalition with USA, because when uh, Islamic State uh, started to attack Kurds and Kurdish area. Kurds didn't have any weaponry, didn't have any supply to fight, fight back. Just, just they have human resources. And in certain stage, USA came in and they say they're going to help and give some weaponry, and Kurds would say yes. Otherwise, all population would be slaughtered by the 
Islamic State, which is uh, supported by uh, Turkey. Islamic State couldn't achieve that, but now Turkey is uh, finishing business which uh, Islamic State couldn't finish. And we haven't been surprised, but we still think in 21st century, USA and other Western countries should have certain level of ethics. And mm. Turkey is going there to slaughter civilian population, Kurdish population, but we're just hearing some criticism critics from USA to Europe, but not any concrete action, not even they're calling uh, no-fly zone, that area, uh, airspace controlled by USA. And yesterday, UN had a meeting, we thought they may call uh, no-fly zone, because Turkey give major damage to civilian population by bombarding these towns from air. They didn't even call no-fly zone. This is uh, very sad, uh, very upset. Mm. Hmm. Um, oh, um, yeah, I guess I want to kind of know what is about the sort of other kind of diplomatic um, things that are kind of, what is sort of the um, what is the kind of attitude of the Syrian government um, to this whole issue of the US withdrawal and um, Turkey, you know, te- look, there, coming there into is, the. Yeah, look, uh, there is. Uh, um, Talks going on between even Turkey and Syrian government. Maybe low level, but we know that it's happening for a while. When it comes to Kurds, Syria government also doesn't want the Kurds to have any autonomy or any freedom. Because under the Assad regimes, even hundreds of thousands Kurds didn't have uh, their birth ID. They didn't even register as a citizen in the countries. When it comes to Kurds, I think Syrian government is... Um, probably happy to Turks to slaughter Kurds, because on the other hand, Tur- and Russia and Iran, they involve this conflict, as you know. I, I think Turks is, uh, or, or Russian is saying Syrian uh, government, okay, let's Turkey to slaughter Kurds, then they will withdraw from area and you can move in the area. This is, uh, this is all about, uh, I mean, Kurdish issues. The issues hasn't been solved over 100 years, and those countries just want to Kurdish wipe off out Kurdish population from the from the area. Therefore, we haven't seen any really concrete action from Syrian government. Even Kurdish-led administration, northern eastern Syria, many many times indicate that they don't want to divide country at all. They just want to Syrian become a more democratic country, maybe more decentralized, but more democratic country where all ethnic groups or religious groups can. Uh, express themselves freely and also become a more fair uh, country, more just country. They they say they they always uh, defend the unity of Syria, not the division. But still, uh, Assad regime they don't they didn't accept their offer, and we'll, we will still there's some kind of um, talks course between northern Syrian and administration and Syrian government. But in fact, I think when it comes to slaughter of the Kurds, Syrian government, I mean, would be probably in certain levels would be happy to see this. And, you know, with, um, uh, you know, the, the Islamic State was routed from the area. What are the implications um, of this new attack and a destabilization in the possible return of Islamic State? Is that, is that a possibility? Of course, this is like uh, just giving another life to Islamic State to, to uh, 
is the comeback. This is uh, there is close to seventy thousand people in the whole uh, whole camp. Mainly they are mainly civilian, but uh, some of them still uh, support Islamic State. And there is over ten thousand Islamic State fighters prisoners, and and Kurds. While Turkey attacking there, and Kurds can't control these prisons and and these uh, camps, and most likely they will be free. And this is one of the aim of Turkey. And when Turkey first started, uh, or before even start this war, they said they're going to go all the way to Raqqa. And uh, I mean, Turks work. Turkish said, I should say, when I was, um, I, I don't want your uh, listeners to misunderstand, not the Turkish uh, people. Turkish said the work. Closely with all radical Islamic groups in Syria, support them. One of them is Islamic State. And majority of their fighters went through a Turkish border freely, and when they wanted, they come back and have treatment and went, went back. And there is big danger. Uh, this area going to be more disturbed. Uh, uh, sorry, um, there going to be more problem in this uh, area, and. This is going to be long uh, civil war. This is uh, yeah, this is unacceptable, and uh, definitely Islamic State uh, will come back and use opportunity to come back and fight again. And in light of this um, current situation, um, what are what are the kind of demands? Um, what are the demands of? I mean, you talked about the no-fly zone, but what are the demands um, that we kind of should be pushing um, internationally um, for solidarity? Look, Turkey should withdraw from the area. This is mm. another country. Uh, uh, they, they enter another country's border, and this is against international law, any kind of law. This is this unilateral uh, attack should stop. There wasn't any threat from North and Eastern Syrian administration to Turkey. They, not single attack to Turkey. Turkey always talk about. Uh, border safety or security issues. There wasn't any issues. If there's any issues created by Turkey, and this administration many times called Turkish state to come and dialogue and talk, even before this attack started, and there was a negotiation between USA, Turkey, and Northern Eastern and Eastern Syria, which we call Rojava administration, and they withdrew their uh, Syrian democratic forces, withdrew their forces five kilometers from the area, and there was an agreement between Turkey, USA, and SDF. Uh, and but suddenly, even the, uh, this agreement happened, and Turkey started to attack. We want Turkey to stop this attack, withdraw from mm. northern Syria, and we want uh, no, no no fly zone. And we we want the, 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 all the problems. If there is any problems, should be solved by uh, negotiation. But as I said earlier, Turkey's intention. Is totally different. There, there wasn't any, any border security. There wasn't any the major issues. Turkish state want to uh, once all to to finish all Kurdish resistance wherever it is, and to, and they just disabled all the Kurdish administration wherever it is. And because Turkey doesn't want to solve its own Kurdish problem with, within its own border, which is about 20 million Kurds living in, in Turkey. As long as Turkey wants to solve its Kurdish uh, question within its own border and accept right of the Kurdish people living in Turkey, and this is going to happen probably in future and Kurds in Iraq and in, in, in Iran. And the world should know this. This is nothing to do with 
safety and um, issues. This is the Turkish current uh, Islamist and uh, uh, racist and also anti-democratic despot leadership and far-right nationalists. They want to destroy Kurds and Kurdish administration wherever it is and change the demography of northern and eastern Syria, populate that with Syrian uh, Arab refugees. And according to them, then at least they would solve one part of the Kurdistan's problem because there is no any more Kurds. Mm. Um, um, last question, Mamot, is can you give us um, the, any details of any solidarity rallies coming up in Melbourne? Yeah, look, yesterday we had one yeah, and today we had two, and tomorrow at 4.30 we're having a rally, and we're going to start in front of Victorian State Library, and we will march from there to Federation Square. I ask anyone, any of listeners who concerned about human rights, who concerned about social justice, e- equality, and to come and join with us and say no Turkey to, to killing civilians in northern eastern Syria and demolishing one of the, the, the uh, administration which could be the example of all other Middle East and, and uh, the world. Because in Rojava, area we call Rojava, there was an administration and there was a structure based on, on community-based structure, more working for social justice, but the more democratic socialist community was, or system was appearing there, and USA and, and Turkey, uh, of course, don't want such a system to appear, and they want to destroy it. I want to ask all people who believe justice, who believe democracy, who believe socialism, come and support us. Yeah. Hi, thank, thank you. Thank you much, Mahmoud. We really appreciate it, and we'll be there on Saturday. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And... Just to reiterate, um, so the rally is, uh, for, um, to get, or to call for Turkey to get out of, uh, Syria is, uh, the, tomorrow, that's Saturday, October the 12th, 4.30 yes. at the State Library. Yes. Thank you. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you, Mamut. Right. right. That was, um, Mamut from, um, the Australian Democratic Kurdish, um, Centre. Um, and now I've actually got to play a quick announcement and actually get to our next interview. For 45 years, Friends of the Earth has been mobilising communities to resist the destructive industries like coal, gas, nuclear, and to transform our world into somewhere better. Come celebrate with us as we celebrate 45 years of creative resistance. 25th of October at the Gasometer, doors open at 8pm with a welcome to country at 9pm. The lineup includes Alicia Joy, Hello Tut Tut, Mortisfield, Claddy and more. You know it'll be fun because it's Friends of the Earth. See you there. You can get tickets online or at our famous food co-op at 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. Friends of the Earth are a proud supporter of 3CR. Hi, good morning, listeners. You're listening um, to Green Left um, Weekly um, 
Radio. Um, it is 7.46am and on the line we have Aaron Wagnum um, from the Tamil Refugee um, Council and long-time campaigner uh, for refugee rights. Um, we have him on the line because um, there has been a bit of a debate um, about this topic um, on the issue of climate, the climate crisis and refugees. Um, and so we're having Karen to have a bit of a quick kind of discussion on those issues. Um, so good morning, Aaron. Uh, good morning, Jacob. Uh, thank you for having me. All right. Um, so I guess the first question is, can you give us a bit of a kind of short kind of summary on, you know, how the climate crisis is impacting on on the refugee crisis internationally? Well, firstly, you know, the climate crisis is more than about environment. Um, there are, you know, as a result of uh, no action on climate change, uh, we are already seeing mass displacement of uh, uh, millions of people around the world, and, and that's uh, going to increase. And it's not just mass displacement uh, as a result of, um, uh, you know, seas rising. There's going to be conflicts as a result uh, of uh, uh, the, the issues caused by uh, uh, climate change, and, uh, and, and people are going to be fleeing those conflicts as well. Uh, and our government, on one hand, has been uh, ignoring or, or basically uh, saying that uh, climate change isn't real. Uh, but also, on the other hand, you know, they have been well aware of uh, the, the, the impacts of climate change on migration, and, and they have been preparing our immigration system uh, to stop anyone from uh, you know, stop anyone fleeing climate crisis entering into this country. Uh, so on one hand, they're in denial. On the other hand, they're preparing uh, for mass arrivals. Uh, it, it doesn't add up. And why do you think, I guess, to make a kind of political argument, why do you think it's kind of important for, you know, the growing kind of environment movement to take up the issue of refugee rights, which includes, you know, taking up even the political demands like shutting down the detention, offshore detention camps, etc.? Well, you know, firstly, uh, you know, like I said, uh, the, the climate crisis is going to uh, create uh, refugees and, and, and it is the, the responsibility of the, the climate activists uh, to, uh, to ensure uh, these people uh, find safety uh, in, a, uh, in, in, in another country. And, um, and for that reason, climate activists uh, need to be engaged on this issue. But also, when it comes to treatment of refugees in, in onshore and offshore uh, detention centres, and, you know, mistreatment of refugees in our communities, the, the people who deny, uh, the people who don't want any action on climate change are the one mistreating these refugees as well. We face the same uh, enemy, uh, you know, before bringing a lump of coal into uh, Parliament. Scott Morrison is well known for um, uh, mistreatment of refugees. In fact, he's, he is the architect of our barbaric refugee uh, regime, and, uh, and this man mistreated uh, refugees before he uh, started uh, denying uh, uh, climate change and all that. Uh, and so we face the same enemy, and uh, you know the, the struggle is the same. Uh, you know, if we uh, 
uh, if we don't, you know, if, if the, the refugee struggle continues, we're not going to see any action on climate change from these people. No. Um, and I'd also like to point out as well, um, as you're probably already aware, um, that the climate refugees uh, that we are going to see rise in large numbers will be coming from countries that haven't actually uh, significantly contributed to the climate catastrophe that we face. Uh, you know, the, it's the rich countries that have pumped carbon into the air, but unfortunately, um, you know, most of the refugees will be from poorer nations who haven't contributed as much to climate change but will be the first to be affected so that's really something that we need to keep into uh, in um in mind with our responsibilities and our duties to refugees as well that's right yeah. uh, you know the, the the ruling class is very good good at placing the burden of the the climate crisis on um on the on the poor you know who yeah. had nothing to do with contributing to uh, the, the climate change uh, they will they will be facing the brunt of it yeah and uh, you know Tuvalu prime minister he was uh, at the the pacific uh, uh, economic forum and he was basically begging scott morrison to save his people from drowning and and Tuvalu is one of the places that's likely to mm. it's already going under the water and um, and Scott Morrison was out there just laughing at those leaders, mm. uh, worried about their future. Yeah, I think it's um, it's absolutely sad and, and disastrous that a time in a time where we need the the wisest and most passionate leadership to to stop what's coming, we seem to have a bunch of greedy idiots running the place who just have no sympathy at all. Um, for the plight of people who are the first to be affected. I mean, what will it take, uh, you know, for them to actually be, to, to, to undertake some action? I, I guess this is one of the reasons why Extinction Rebellion um, ha, are doing what they're doing this week and, and ongoing with these active disruptions of the status quo of business as usual because, you know, for so many decades... Climate activists have petitioned and they've lobbied and they've done all the right things, um, but we've come to nothing because we have these kind, this kind of leadership and we have this uh, capitalist structure that just does not in any way, um, you know, focus on ethical change. Yeah, it's, and I guess um, probably my question to you is, there is elements in the climate movement um, who are passionate about um, climate action but don't necessarily see a responsibility to, uh, you know, to assist the climate refugees that are coming. And what, what would you say to them and, and um, you know, how would you convince them that we have an obligation and that we do need to fight for these refugees? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a very difficult question. I, I don't know how we can convince uh, climate activists who are refusing to, uh, you know, uh, have a debate on uh, on, on refugees. Um, I, I basically see that we we see the same enemy, and, and we, uh, we we got to uh, fight all the. Uh, you know, we can't just fight for uh, climate uh, change and not worry about all the other struggles that are. Uh, that are all uh, interlinked and, 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 you know, we should all be uh, fighting together. Uh, you know, the, the struggle against climate change um, is uh, it's not just against climate change. It's against a system that is causing 
all sorts of issues and, and you know, if we're not showing solidarity with uh, all these struggles, uh, the you know, there, there will be no real action on, uh, on climate change. Mm-hmm. And coming back to your previous point about uh, the Extinction Rebellion and, and, and the disruption, I think what it's going to take is uh, not just, uh, you know, disruption uh, of, uh, you know, the capitalist system by 500 people. It is going to uh, take mass involvement uh, of people. You know, if we don't disrupt the system, uh, if we don't go on strike, what we're likely to see is, um, you know, every single one of us being affected by uh, climate change. Mm. Um, and, and therefore, you know, it, it is the duty. It's like, it's like going on a strike uh, at, a, at a workplace, you know. Um, mm. uh, you know, just a few people going on strike, it's not going to uh, uh, make any difference. Uh, you know, there needs to be real solidarity from the people. There needs to be mass numbers uh, in order to force our government to uh, take uh, action on uh, uh, climate change. And, and therefore, you know, I, I urge your listeners, you know, who are uh, uh, listening to this program to, to take part in these rallies. There's going to be mm. a blockade outside uh, IMARC I from 28th to 31st. People should take part in that and any other future rallies. You know, this is, um, this is uh, very uh, urgent now. You know, we, we have gone past. Uh, 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 you know, the, the action should have been taken many years ago. Our leaders were well aware of uh, the dangers this planet was uh, yes. uh, facing and they chose not to take any, any action and they still choose not to take any action. They think that, you know, some sort of miracle will come and save this planet. Um, you know, some of the rich people may be able to buy more time than uh, many of us who, you know, who are on... Uh, minimum wages and, 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 you know, we don't really have the, the financial means to, uh, uh, go to, you know, find safety. Buy bunkers on uh, islands, yeah. yeah. That's right. Uh, so we, you know, we should all hit the streets and, and demand our government to take action now. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I think we've got a couple more minutes. Is there anything that you want to say that we haven't covered or any closing statements that you feel are important? Uh, look, all, all I uh, say is uh, uh, people uh, should be uh, showing, uh, you know, uh, sh- people should be taking part in these uh, uh, Extinction Rebellion actions. Uh, and those who are already taking part in these uh, Extinction Rebellion actions, you know, they should show solidarity with other causes as well. And, and we should mm-hmm. all, uh, you know, uh, be part of this struggle to uh, see real action on climate change. Thank you. Um, we appreciate your input and thanks for all the information. And keep up the thank good work. You, thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay. All right. That was Aaron Rawagdam from the Tamil Refugee Council talking about the importance of, you know, addressing um, for, um, the importance of climate um, activists taking up the issues of climate justice and refugee rights. And actually one of the... One of the kind of impressive um, kind of things that actually, just a bit of a quick anecdote, is um, Extinction Rebellion has been sort of having these people's assemblies and now sort of have a bit of a mild a criticism of them in a sense that they're not necessarily appear, they don't necessarily appear to be decision-making bodies or 
but they sort of give, but I guess the positive thing is they kind of give people, um, the opportunity to sort of voice out concerns and points. Mm. Um, but I guess the problem is that, um, yeah, it's not necessarily having any sort of impact on exchanges on XR, but, there was people's assembly on the question of climate justice and it was, you know, it was quite fascinating that generally there were like over a hundred kind of activists, um, who were sort of participating in this discussion and the kind of report backs we kind of heard back generally found that people were coming to the conclusions when, when faced with the question of climate justice, um, they were generally coming to the right conclusions that, you know, there needs to be some kind of system change. You know, there's no climate justice unless we address the issues of refugees and on workers' rights, um, and Indigenous sovereignty. Um, and so it was generally, yeah, it was certainly quite a good discussion. And, you know, some useful practical things that kind of came out was, you know, the idea that maybe XR should take more, um, should prioritise actually mobilising more for, um, you know, Aboriginal sovereignty struggles. But, of course... Um, they, yeah, there's plenty of kind of room to develop, especially since it is uh, a growing kind of movement. Mm, absolutely. And um, just in regards to mobilisation for climate, um, I'm a big advocate of trying to get unions involved because um, we've seen a lot of um, very significant action um, when unions become involved. You know, things like, uh, you know, uh, dock workers uh, refusing to unload uh, ships that have weapons on them. And, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, union involvement in uh, the cl- general climate strike could involve things like um, not carrying coal, not distributing gas, um, you know, blocking uh, these kinds of um, shipments and everything. Um, I think unions really have such a key part to play uh, in the global strike um, for climate action. And I really do think that we need to try and get unions on board because, um, you know, we don't really have a strike if we don't have unions on board. We have to get unions on board, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I might just play a quick announcement um, and then we'll be going on to um, the actor's calendar. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. You're listening to Green Left Weekly Radio, um, and we are getting in time for the activist calendar. Now, I guess first things first, um, the XR Spring Rebellion is um, still ongoing, um, and so it is all happening at Carlton Gardens, which has a 24-7 kind of protest camp, um, which is having various actions through the day. So the first action um, that's going to be coming up is um, there's going to be a protest, uh, well, actually this is separate from Extinction Rebellion, but there is a protest, or um, there is, oh, it doesn't matter, I have it all here. 
Um, there's a protest happening from this um, from 12 o'clock outside the Border Force office, um, which is going to be a national day of action against um, for refugees. Um, there's going to be a discussion on climate justice in Aboriginal sovereignty at, from 2 to 4 p.m. at Camp Carlton, which is Carlton Gardens, for part of the XR Spring Rebellion. There's going to be um, a student a swarm for climate justice at 4 p.m. at the Carlton Gardens, and then at 5 p.m. there's going to be a kind of an extinction. Um, Extinction Rebellion um, rave, um, which is going to be happening from 5pm at the Carlton Gardens. Now, the next protests, um, the next kind of protests that are happening is there is going to be a protest for re- reproductive um, justice, counter the march for the babies at 12:30 p.m. at the Parliament House. Um, there'll be a fundraiser for grandmothers against re- removals, um, which is where Zane's band is performing at the. Ca- Cafe Gummo Bar at 7-Eleven High Street in Thornberry. Um, on Sunday, there is going to be, an, as part of the XR... Oh, wait, on Sunday, the, the other thing I forgot is there's going to be the rally for, um, for the... Um, for the Kurdish community in solidarity against um, against the Turkish invasion at 4.30pm at the State Library this Sunday. Now, on Sunday, there's going to be an XR Spring Rebellion all into the drowning, um, joining this act of symbolic drowning and rising anew so that we can continue the struggle for climate justice with even greater resolve. And that will be happening at 12pm at um, the Carton Gardens. Then on Monday, October the 14th, um, there will be a rally, Stop Oceana Gold, Stand with the Filipino people Diguro and Save Noiva Vizcaya movement to stop the abuses of the Australian mining company Oceana Gold. And that's at 12 noon at 357 Collins Street in the city. Then at... um, There'll be a Green Left discussion, what will it take to change the system? Um, and they'll be happening at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street at 6 o'clock on Monday, October the 14th in the city. And there'll be another, there'll be a public forum, Blood, Slavery, Climate Destruction, Mining Under Capitalism. The mining industry around the world has had a long history of working with dictatorships and blood-soaked regimes, as well as causing catastrophic environmental disaster and the displacement of thousands of people. They'll be happening at 6.30pm with meal from 6pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Swanson Street. And then on Thursday, there'll be, on October the 17th, there'll be a rally, support RTBU members in the EBA fight with Metro, and that's happening at 11.30am at the Flinders Street Clock Ox in the city. On, on Thursday, October the 17th, there'll be a book launch, book launch, Thomas Mayer, Finding the Heart of a Nation, and um, it will be discussing what the Uluru Statement is and why it is so important, and they'll be happening from 6 p.m. at the Solid um, at the Solidarity Hall at the Shreds Hall, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. Then on Saturday, um, October the 19th, there'll be a protest. Um, protest Trade Link to stop Adani. Um, Trade Link um, pl- um, plumbing centres are owned by Fletcher Building, a New Zealand company currently build- bidding to supply key materials for Adani's disastrous Carmichael coal mine, and they'll be happening at 9am at 344 St Kilda Road in Melbourne. Then on there'll be a fundraiser, West Papua Barapin, um, food, music, film from 5pm at 38 
38 Harrison Street in East Brunswick, bookings essential. And then on Saturday, October 20th, um, there'll be a rally, Save More Lands, Historical Trees at Gundoff Gardens. The state government plans to shop down 100 plus trees at Moreland's beautiful green oasis, the Gundoff Gardens, in the, in the Heritage Reserve next to Moreland train station. They'll be happening at 2pm at the Gundoff Gardens, um, 2, 233 to 239 Moreland Road in Brunswick. And then on from Thursday, October the 24th to Friday, the November the 1st, there'll be the Environmental Film Festival. On Saturday, October the 26th, there'll be a protest, No Right to Discriminate, Kill the Bills. Um, they'll be happening at 2pm at the State Library. And then from Monday, October the 28th to Thursday, October the 31st, there'll be Blockade IMARC for climate justice. Some of the world's worst climate criminals are gathering in Melbourne from October 28th to the 31st. Companies that fuel, that profit from the fueling climate change, fueling indigenous land and exploiting workers will gather at the International Mining and Resources Conference. Their actions drive animal extinction as well as a mass displacement of people. And they'll be happening at 6am from each day at the Convention Exhibition Centre, uh, one centre place, um, South Wharf. On Tuesday, October 29th, there'll be a performance by Hell Child, features at Passionate Tons at 7.30pm at the Brothers Public House, 42 Johnson Street in Fitzroy. And then there'll be a public meeting, Corporate Violence and the East India Company, historian William Dallashrib, Darubel, um, discusses some lessons from the past, and that'll be at 6pm at the FM Theatre, um, 188 Collins Street in the city. And then from Wednesday, November the 6th to Friday, November the 8th, there'll be a Black Palestinian Solidarity Conference, a powerful convergence of ideas, art and transnational solidarity. Um, and this will be happening at the Brown Room at University of Melbourne, um, Wilson Avenue, Building 193 in Parkville. And then... From and then on Tuesday, um, November the twelfth, there'll be a public meeting. The airplanes, the environment, and the human condition. Hans Baer discusses his new book at seven p.m. in the New International Bookshop, which trades Hall Fifty Four Victoria Street, Carlton South. Um, so yeah, and also just the la- other last thing is there is going to be I think an action for Extinction Rebellion in Geelong at a Saturday, October twelfth. Um, dying for climate action. It, they'll be happening at twelve noon at a little Mallop Street in Geelong. So yeah, I might just play. I might play just a quick um, announcement, and then we'll get into our third and last interview just for these announcements. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions. 
and look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter. Three CR broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one thing at Three CR Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Tistamiuna ila ila Three CR Community Radio araja al istrakel an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanoli Three CRi kertu kondir kondir kalli. Inre ina ingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria Tres CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio y Gayaranin, Boretanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Artanakrevetsek Ipertrisiari Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. This is Irene Bolger, former Secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986, and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. All right. So um, on the line, on the line, we have Andrew Morrison, who is um, part of the Philippines Australian Solidarity Association, um, PASA, if I'm, I'm getting the name correct, and is also part of um, the Stop Oceana Gold um, campaign, um, solidarity campaign. Um, so we have him on the line um, to talk about um, this campaign. Um, so good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I guess the first question is: Can you tell us about Oceana Gold and what is the what is the role that they are playing internationally, given that they are Australian yeah. mining company? Yeah, that, that's right. So we always talk about them as an Australian mining company. They're listed on both the Australian and Canadian stock exchanges. So strictly speaking, Australian Canadian mining company. Um, they operate gold mines in New Zealand the USA and the DPA gold and copper mine in the Philippines. They, they're no longer in El Salvador, but they had attempted to start mining in El Salvador and their efforts there were implicated, or implicated them in terrible human rights abuses, including torture and murder. Uh, and the El Salvador government uh, refused to allow them to mine there because they were concerned about the, the people and the environment and the impact that a mine would have. Um, and after a long campaign with international support, uh, El Salvador won the case and Oceana Gold was forced to pay uh, legal costs. Um, we, we're, uh, of course, interested in what they're doing in the Philippines where they originally were called Climax Mining when they, when they started operating in the Philippines. Uh, but they became Oceana Gold through a merger which is... Not, not much more than a name change. The, the key staff stayed on and they're essentially mm. the same company. Uh, and they, they first started working in the Philippines. They started uh, prospecting in the DPO in 1989 
1994, they secured approval to undertake mining operations, which was uh, a disaster for the for the people of Didipio, um who have resisted the mine ever since they heard about it and they've suffered terrible abuses for their efforts. Hmm. So what can you tell us about some of these kind of abuses that they're committing in um, the Philippines? Mm, yeah, there's, there's a long list um, that date back really to the, pretty much the time they set foot in, in Didibio. Um, so they, Oceana Gold used a range of dirty tricks to get consent for the mine, uh, including bribing local officials. They concealed information about the impacts of the mine from the residents. They made false claims that the locals supported the mine. Uh, and then uh, when the local government in Didipio did receive consent, uh, Oceana Gold tried to circumvent the rules requiring local government to give consent. Um, so eventually they were able to get, get the mine up against the wishes of all the people that lived in and around Didipio. Mm. Uh, they used standover tactics to gain access to the land. Um, they they hired a, a legal team with a track record of um, kicking uh, local residents off their land to you know, for whatever commercial interests. Uh, and this legal team organised a campaign of intimidation and harassment that involved um, security guards employed by Oceana Gold and the Philippine National Police. Um, so many people would now be familiar with the behaviour of the Philippine National Police hmm. who've recently killed around 30,000 alleged drug users um, in the so-called war on drugs that's been going on for the last few years. Um, that's, that's not new behaviour from them. They, they've participated in... Uh, as I say, intimidation and harassment of people to get them, um, in, in, in this case, into DPA to, to give up their land. Um, and then the, the final thing in, in terms of getting access to their land, um, there's a dodgy legal process supported by the national government that, in the end, if, if all every other tactic failed, they're able to force people to, to give... Uh, either sell Oceana Gold to the land at a cheap price or give them access to the land. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And can you tell us, um, this is something I've heard in relation to the stop, um, to this um, a campaign against Oceana Gold. Can you tell us about the Save Nora Vizcaya movement? Yeah. Um, and yeah, give no, us no. details? Yeah, I, I can. Oh, look, I, I should, I've, I've, I didn't get all the way through the list. I should just mention a couple of more serious abuses that, um, have occurred, if I can, briefly. Um, so there have been people who, who've... Oceana Gold's been implicated in, in serious assaults and, and killings. Um, so going back to 2012, um, uh, two members of a, of a local group who were um, opposing the mine, groups called the Sama, um, were killed um, by unidentified assailants in the DPO, um, never been... Those cases have never been prosecuted. And there's a, a farmer who was assaulted and, and detained in 2013 by Oceana Gold security guards um, because he was looking after a vegetable patch that happened to be on land that they were um, about to mine on. Um, and then there's a disappearance uh, of an activist called Brian Eper, 
who was arrested by the Philippine National Police in 2013 hasn't been since. So there's some of the, the, the nastier crimes that Oshana Gold's been involved in. Um, yeah, so to come back to your question, yeah, the, the Save Slave of Viscoa movement, uh, this was launched only last month, but it's, it's not really new. It's, it's a culmination of campaigns uh, and resistance that's grown over the years. Um, the, the leaders include the, the governor of Nueva Vizcaya. So Nueva Vizcaya is a, a province. Um, it's probably in terms of people and, and government organisation equivalent to a state in, in, in Australia. Um, so the movement leaders include the, the, that, the governor of, of that province, Nueva Vizcaya, church leaders, environment and human rights activists um, and Indigenous rights activists. Uh, the key groups that I'll mention, in case your listeners are interested, are um, De- Desama is, is the name of the, the local group in Didipia that's been a place in the mine. Um, Calicasan PNE is, is a Philippine environment group, a national environment group that's been supporting their campaign. There's another group called Alianza Tigo Minya, uh, which means the Alliance to Stop Mining and they're an anti-mining group in the Philippines. Um, and that they've, um, they have been uh, supported for many years by by groups in, in Australia, like like PASA, and we there are other groups that PASA's involved in this campaign with that go under the banner of ANCOMP, the Australian National Campaign on Mining in the Philippines, um, and then there are international groups like Mining Watch Canada who have been supporting their uh, efforts to resist um, and overcome the, what this mining company is doing. Hmm. Oh, great. And can you tell, I guess, the, sort of the last kind of question I want to get into is what are some of the demands um, that the Solidarity Campaign um, that you're a part of is attempting to push and yeah. what about, can you tell us a bit about the action that is going to be coming up this Monday? Yeah. So um, the, the phase wave of this guy movement have said they're determined to push for the cancellation of Oceana Gold's FTAA. So that's that's essentially a, a mining licence that stands for free technical uh, or um, I forgot my A. It's an acronym anyway, um, but it's essentially a, a, a mining. Um, Oh, no, so free te- technical or assistance agreement, financial and technical assistance agreement is, is what it stands for. Um, yeah, and, and so they're, they're determined to push for the cancellation of that agreement, which expired earlier this year. Um, and they've called, uh, they want the coal to hold Oceana Gold to account. They called for investigation uh, into anomalies and violations um, in connection with that. So in other words, they, they want the mine to close, they want Oceana Gold out. Um, and in terms of holding Oceana Gold to account, um, Oceana Gold should compensate locals for the loss of their homes, land and livelihoods, and they should re- repair the environmental damage that has been caused by the mine. Um, and the, the, the rally on, on Monday, um, so that's um, put on... Um, by uh, PASA and the uh, National Union of 
Australia through Kevin Bracken um, with support from um, Blockade iMark. And so we're really grateful for the support of Blockade iMark and, and to be involved in that campaign. Uh, it's, it's on Monday, as he said, uh, from 12 to 1 uh, outside uh, 357 Collins Street in the city. Um, and you, your listeners can look up the details on PASA's Facebook page. So if you Google Philippines Australia Solidarity Association, you'll find our um, Facebook page and, and you can see all the details there of, of this uh, rally on, on Monday. Um, one, Jake, we can also mention uh, another event that PASA's got yep. coming up Not a problem. on Friday. Yeah, it's great. That'll be great. Yeah, so we're, we're holding a, a forum uh, focused on, on human rights and the, the erosion of human rights in Australia and the Philippines. Um, this coming uh, Friday, not, not tonight, but next, next Friday evening. Um, the details of that are also on our Facebook page. So um, everyone's welcome and we'd love to see um, as many people as possible at both events, the, the rally to stop Oceana Gold on Monday and, and our human rights forum on on the Friday week. Oh, Friday week. oh thank uh, well, thank you very much um, for um, for that, Andrew. Um, but yeah, we we'll, um, definitely recommend to listeners that you at, um, support um, the action against Oceana Gold. And in fact, you've been doing these meetings, um, these pub, um, these rally um, actions for quite a while, actually, because I remember going to one um, last year. Um, they happen yep. regularly, month by month, don't they? That they're no, no longer quite so regular, so we had been holding them regularly for a number of years. I, I can't remember how far back it goes. I think it goes back to 2013, but um, but we, we no longer hold them every single month um, just because it's difficult to get enough people to, to, to get along. Um, so, But if, if you um, watch, keep, keep an eye on Pastor's Facebook page, um, we'll... We'll keep people informed about when rallies are on. Hmm. All right. Um, well, yeah, thank you very much, Andrew. <sighs> thanks, Jacob. I really appreciate the chance to speak. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Andrew from PASA um, talking, um, talking to us about the Oceana Gold um, stop Oceana Gold campaign and yeah so we have um, at least kind of six minutes kind of left um, Megan do you have any sort of articles that you want to kind of share or news no not really I'm just trying to think um, yeah just uh, and, and like urging people to get along to IMARC which I think is uh, October 28th to what is it the 31st. 31st, Well, I yeah. can see it there. Yeah, October yeah. 28th to the 31st. Um, that is going to be, I think... Well, actually, maybe it might be a good time to kind of do a bit of um, commentary on a few things, um, just to s- sum it all up. Um, I think it's been quite... Um, so this whole Extinction Rebellion, Spring Rebellion has been quite exciting, I think, because... Mm. On one hand, you have the big, massive kind of global climate strike, um, which, you know, had over a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand people. Now, those numbers are absolutely massive compared to oh, yeah. the level that Extinction Rebellion is kind of drawing right now. But one but of the things. But these are allies. We're all allies in the same fight. So, yeah, 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 exactly. But, um, what, well, the point I'm trying to make is that each movement, I think, is kind of feeding to each other. And I think Extinction Rebellion has a certain place that is 
role that is kind of playing. And that is for a lot of people who are going to the school strikes, um, et cetera, they have been kind of itching to kind of find a kind of other a group they can sort of get involved in building. Extinction Rebellion is, I think, providing that space because the reality is the majority of people who are attending these XR actions, they don't just want to attend uh, uh, a rally as kind of a one-off. They want to be active mm. kind of builders and be it's an part ongoing thing. Uh, as an ongoing thing. And in fact, one of the more empowering things I kind of saw at the camp was, you know, I was hanging out with a few um, people and um, right into, <laughs> um, and then they all started meeting. Um, this is a, um, a group of sort of rebels from Extinction Rebellion Yara, the local group, and they went and started discussing their action that they were organising on the Wednesday morning. So I think that sort of the, mm. that kind of level of collective kind of activity, I think, is quite powerful and I think you know the the growing the cumulative kind of strength of groups like Extinction Rebellion School Strife Client and um, now Blockade IMARC could sort of signal a kind of turn that we could uh, a mass movement around the climate similar to the anti-Vietnam War similar to the anti-Iraq War um, could develop or even the anti-work choices kind of um, campaign in the early zero zero. so there's lots of potential mm. I think um here and I think you know I highly encourage um, listeners who haven't visited the camp to you know check out the protest camp sure there's there's been lots of occupations in the past but you know I think this is definitely something worth participating in and supporting and it's such a critical and timely thing to do as well and just on a celebrity note, um, I have just heard that Benedict Cumberbatch, um, I think I got that right, has visited uh, an XR camp in the UK and there's a whole bunch of photos around the internet. So, yeah, that's a little bit of celebrity endorsement for you. <laughs> hmm. All right. Okay. Um, well, I might, we might finish up the program. I'll, I'll yes. advise listeners to tune in to next Friday um, where we'll be having even more radical news and interviews with um, voices that are not necessarily represented yes, in the mainstream. And beyond, stick around for Beyond Zero. They're on now. And also Solidarity tomorrow morning as well. So that's the, the breakfast show on Saturday. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show... And interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. To start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now?
it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed 